welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. You chose a good Sunday to come. If I've never met you, uh, I'd love to shake your hand afterwards in the lobby. I'll be out there drinking coffee, shaking hands on the way out probably. Um, we picked a, a good week to come because this, this week we're kicking off several weeks of talking about what our church is all about. If you've uh, been here very much or you saw it on the sign as you came in, you've heard us say, we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. If we love the family, we can change the world. Then at the beginning of the week, I had planned just to speak on it this week. But as I got into it, I realized that I had way too much for one week. Uh, so it was either just scratch the surface on a bunch of different parts and have it be really super long or take some time and dive deep. So I chose option two. And uh, we'll dive deep this week and then the next three. Um, today we're going to ask the question, why do we love the family? Now, when each of us thinks of our family, right, there's different things that come to mind. Right, if you're like me, uh, you probably are thinking of things like family reunions, right? If your family have family reunions. Uh, you're probably thinking about holiday traditions you may or may not have. You're probably thinking about birthdays and the things you always do on birthdays. You're probably possibly even thinking about just what it looked like day to day as you grew up, what your family is like. You know, one of the things I think is awesome about families is that no two of them are ever the same. They're all different, right? We all go to church here. We love the Lord, but our families are all completely different. I'm sure you remember when you were young, maybe you do, uh, I would guess you do, maybe going over to somebody's house when you were a kid. Maybe you go over to hang out with your friends, get to go over spend the night for a sleepover. Uh, maybe you remember going over to someone else's house and having these realizations. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? You have these realizations. They get to have super sugary cereal for breakfast at their house. <laughs> Cocoa puffs or whatever. They get to have soda when they have dinner at their house. <laughs> they get to have a dog. They have four dogs. This house must be the best house in the world. I've said it before, and I will continue to. Uh, no matter how your family has been up until now, good, bad, or even ugly, whether you are close to what we traditionally would call a family or whether you are not, any of those things, you have a place here at our church at Engage Boise. Even if you are here and you've got a family, but you feel utterly alone, you feel like no one's for you, our hope is that you would have a place here in the family of Engage Boise at our church. And over the three weeks following this one, we're going to talk kind of in detail about how we do it, how we love the family, how it changes the world. How do we prioritize it, our own family and the larger family of God? In a world that, if we're honest, if you go look at the news or whatever, if we're honest, it seems like the world has gone a little bit mad sometimes. And this morning, we're going to unpack a little bit of what it looks like because we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. So back to that question at the beginning. Why do we love the family first? We love the family because we become disciples of Christ and disciple our children. God's design is that parents who are following Christ would disciple their children. That's the way he made it to be. And that when uh, parents uh, serve Christ, then kids follow their example. And those kids go out and preach the gospel to all people. And when those kids grow up and preach the gospel to all people and become disciples of Christ, 
then they begin to go about God's work of changing the world. And to be clear, just like you every day, I see the stark reality of how fallen the world is. And at times, it's easy to think there's parts of it that can't be redeemed, for sure. I think I had this on the screen here, but families that are full of the grace and peace of God are the great hope of the world. A family, no matter how it's made up, that's full of the grace and peace of God, is the great hope of the world. You know, it all sounds really super positive and nice to say it that way, right? It sounds nice and flowery. But there is evidence in the word of God that I'm going to show you in a moment. But I want you to know, no matter how crazy it seems like your family has been, when God is in the middle of it and you go out and other people see God in it, it gives them hope that theirs can be good as well. God designed families to serve him in the beginning, and he raised, and he designed them to raise their kids according to God's word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read a little bit this morning uh, the story of Abram, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 9, here in a moment. Genesis 12, 1 through 9, this is a little bit of the story of Abram. Uh, I'm reading to you this morning, hold it here, out of the NIV, uh, 12, 1 through 9, Genesis says this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out, continued towards the Negev. He set out. One of the most well-known stories probably in the entire uh, New Testament, Old Testament, sorry. Got my phone here. I'm going to make my Bible stay open that way. Fortunate to have it up here today. One of the most well-known stories in the entire Old Testament. But I want us to see how this passage, this story in the Old Testament, relates specifically to our families and to our church to engage Boise, 270 East Pennsylvania Avenue today. There's a few things I want you to see about Abram and his family. One of them is this, that God's plan to redeem the whole earth is started with one family. God's plan for us today started with Abram's family. Verses 1 through 3, look at them quickly again. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a promise. God makes a promise to Abram to redeem Mankind through his family. There's a, another section we read more traditionally later on. But God is saying, here, Abram, here is what I want you to do. And here is going to be the result. I want you to go, do this, and here's going to be the result. If we continue to read the story in the Old Testament, we see that God's chosen people, they come from Abram's family, just like God promised. 
41 generations later, Abraham's genealogy includes Jesus himself. I'm sure that Abram, he didn't know exactly what when God said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you meant. Man, that's a big statement. He just knew that God had told him what to do, so he was going to go and he was going to do it. And because he chose to do that, God's plan of salvation started with one man and one family. When you see that Abram's first job was to love his wife and take care of what God had given him. That was his first job. So God, he has this plan to bless the whole earth through Abram and his family. We'll look really closely at who Abram brings with him on this journey as he leaves his father's house. Remember the promise, he's going to bless the whole earth through his offspring, verses 4 and 5. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. So verse 4 and 5, uh, he goes out, and notice who he takes. He takes his wife Sarai, whose name would later be changed to Sarah. But he takes his wife Sarai. He takes his nephew Lot and everyone else that he had been given to take care of. That sounds like a really big job, but there's one thing in there that's conspicuously absent if all mankind is going to be blessed from Abraham, which is what? There's no son. It says there, Abram is 75 years old, but there is no mention of a son. Of course, if you know the story, you know that Abraham, Abram and Sarai would have their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. They eventually would have a son named Isaac. But that wasn't until 25 years later when Abram was 100 years old. Yeah, they did live longer at this time, but yeah, that's old. But 25 years, 75 to 100, that is a long time to wait for anything. And all Abram could do is he could take care of what God had given him at that moment, his wife and his nephew and everything that he'd been given and go do what God told him to do. Third thing we need to know, Abram placed his trust in God in every turn. Verses 6 through 8. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Here God does the thing again. He appears to Abram, who has no son, and he appears to Abram again. He says, to your offspring I will give this land. Abram, I got this plan for you. Abram says, okay, God, to be honest, I'm not really seeing it yet. There's a key part I'm missing. But it's so important to see what Abram does, even though he has not seen the part that will accomplish the promise. What Abram does is he builds an altar to worship God and acknowledge what has been spoken. In the Old Testament, when they built an altar, it meant they sacrificed an animal to remember what had happened there. So Abram, when God says, this is the promise I'm going to keep to you, he builds an altar, he worships God, acknowledges what has been spoken. There is this promise that has been made that Abram wants desperately to come true. Of course. But in the waiting, what does he do? He builds an altar. Okay, God, I don't see it yet, but 
I acknowledge you. He continues to travel on. He takes care of his wife. He takes care of his nephew, Lot. Still not seeing that promise be kept. All the while placing his trust in God. And then he builds another altar in verse 8. I think the important thing I want you to see here, what God spoke to me this week, is what Abram is doing is he's leading in the home God gave him before he led anywhere else. God had given given Abram this everlasting mission that would change the world, but it started in his tent. We could keep going, and we'll do a, a, a series sometime on Abram, I imagine. Abraham. If you read ahead the story, you know that God eventually changes his name from Abram to Abraham. The reason for the change is because Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. Again, the promise is eventually kept. He has Isaac. I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared to speak on that because he has to take his son Isaac and be prepared to sacrifice him to the Lord. (laughs) It's a hard story for me to read. The point is that God's plan to redeem creation, it started with one family. And that God's plan to save the world, it continues with our families in this room today. Now you might be here and you might be thinking several different things. Yeah, that all sounds awesome. Abraham, way to go, but I don't even know where to start. Well, we can follow the example that Abram showed us. You might not know where to start. You might feel like there's a promise that God has made that is really far from coming true, but we can start with what God has given us. We can love our spouse. We can take care of whatever God has given us. Our spouse and the dog and the cat and the hamster. Keep it separate from the cat. Just do what God asked you to do. And remember that God's great plan for our family, it starts in our house. Your plan, God's plan for your family, it starts in your house. It starts around your kitchen table. Now you might be thinking, hey, uh, have you seen the news? Yeah, save the, or uh, love the family, save the world, but I'm kind of scared to step outside. Let alone try and go outside and raise my family in a way that honors God. I would not even know where to start. I hear you, I identify with you, but we don't have time to keep reading in Genesis about how Abraham's son Isaac was born one year after this really big event in the Old Testament called Sodom and Gomorrah, where God destroyed the city because of how depraved they'd become. In fact, Abraham, one year before Isaac is born, he has this discussion with God in Genesis 18, because God says, I need probably to let Abram know that I'm going to do this and see what he says. Goes to talk to him, and Abram bargains with God, and he keeps going. He starts at, I think, 50 men. He goes all the way down. He says, God, if you find just 10 godly men, will you spare the city? And God says, okay, I will. And he can't. You see, it seems like Abram, he raised his family in a culture not so unlike what we're living in. God had to come with fire and brimstone and destroy the entire city. I realize it's different. I realize The stuff of the world is more easily available, but it wasn't a whole lot different in some cases. And our job, friends, here in 2023, simply create an altar, acknowledge God in our homes each day. That's where we start. And to worship God with our lives the best we can in our homes when we wake up before we go to bed. Now, you also might be thinking, that all sounds very nice, Pastor John, but change the world, dude, I can barely get out of my house on time. You kidding me? 
Well, never fear because you are in good company. Anyone who's honest will say they've been there. I was uh, telling somebody the other day, uh, you know, if you have little kids, which we have a seven and nine-year-old, and uh, they're boys, they love to eat, and uh, they're always hungry, so we have snacks in the car, and I decided I wanted to clean up the back of our Yukon. And so I vacuumed it out, got it all nice, went and picked the boys up from school, said, boys, keep it clean back there. Yeah, okay, Dad. Luke said, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? I said, sure, buddy. I had three Ritz crackers. Gave him the three Ritz crackers. And you would have thought he purposely crushed them and, like, spread them all over the entire seat. <laughs> Within, like, two minutes, somehow he ate the crackers and simultaneously got them everywhere. We mentioned how Jesus would be born 41 generations after this. And Jesus was born into this awesome earthly family that tried to raise him according to God's commands to Joseph and Mary. We don't have time to read the scripture this morning, but Luke 2, 41, 52, when Jesus is 12 years old, you might think you don't, you have trouble getting out of the house. I hear that, and I say a hearty amen. Sometimes it's tough. But Joseph and Mary, they take Jesus uh, on this journey when he's 12 years old. They go to Jerusalem for Passover. And, and they go there, and everyone just oozes and awes about how wonderful of parents Joseph and Mary are. They're like, wow, you're doing such a great job. This is such a well-behaved young man, Jesus. How did you become such good parents? We're so glad you are ready for church today. It's totally not true. The truth is they go to leave for Nazareth and they leave their son for three days. The earthly parents of Jesus managed to leave their son at church for three days. Like I said, you're in good company. Now, there are incredible plans for you and your family. There's incredible plans for my family. But you don't have to know what they all are, all are in order to love your family intentionally. You don't got to know every step to love your family now. It doesn't have to look shiny and perfect. I can tell you for sure. Our family, uh, we do our very best to love our kids, but it doesn't look shiny and perfect. Jesus' family didn't look shiny and perfect. And what God asks us to do is start to make him the center of our house. Remember him in the fantastic parts of life and the mundane parts of life because if we're honest, we have all those. Become disciples of Jesus and disciple our kids. And then leave the rest up to him. Leave the rest up to him. And our commitment to you as a church as Engage Boise is that we are committed to doing it together with you. No matter how it looks, if you've got the clean back seat or if you've got the one full of Ritz crackers, we're committed to doing it with you. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for you. We're going to provide places. If you've got kids, grandkids, we're going to provide places for them to learn about Jesus. We're going to provide places for you to get to know him better, preferably while we're taking care of your kids so you can concentrate for a few minutes. Give you a place to come. Let it all out when the world feels like it's falling down around you because we all need a place like that. I want to make sure and add something really important right here, and that is that we do this no matter how your family is set up. No matter how it's been going, we do it if you're the regular classic American family, two parents, two kids, uh, a dog and a cat. Whether you're a single parent, whether you're married and divorced, whether you're grandparents raising kids, whether you're fostered or adopted parents, no matter how your family 
is set up. Man, we're so thankful. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this more in a minute, but uh, we adopted a, a teenager when we first got married, and uh, then we had our, our boys a little later on, so she was 13 when she came to live with us, and when we had John, four, she was 16, and her question was, how are we going to explain this? It's going to look so weird. Have a 16-year-old. How are we going to explain it? Sweetheart, God makes families all different ways. Loves them all the same. All those categories we just mentioned, all those things we just mentioned about our commitment as a church to pray for you, provide places for you to learn about Jesus and your kids, we do those no matter what. No matter the age range, no matter how it's set up. So I'll tell you what, God cares about every family, all those families, and if we are following him, then we better care about what he cares about. But every family you are in right now, God wants to be in the middle of it, and he wants it to be good. The thing is, when we decide to do that together, to love our family and our homes and love our family and our church, then what God does is he takes us and he uses us to change the world. Because the world is looking for something else than what they're finding. Why do we love the family? Well, because that's the example that's set for us. In God's word. Something else that happens when we love the family is that we understand we all belong to the family of God. You've heard me say that from up here the last several weeks. Even if you don't have a family at home, you have one here. Even if your family is other side of the world, country, city, whatever, you have one here. And it's certainly close to my heart that parents have a place to serve God together raise their kids in a church here on this property. But I also know that every person is not the same. Every, every household is different, and every heart is valuable. Your household might be different than mine, but your heart is valuable. Hearts of your family are valuable. Once again, sounds like a really super nice thing to say, and it is. But I don't just say it because it sounds nice. Fact is, every one of your valuable hearts needs a family. There are two simple things that we know about our family here. One of those is that when we accept Christ, we all become sons and daughters of God. When we accept Jesus, you become part of his family, sons and daughters of God. Romans 8.14 tells us this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Man, let that sink in. You are a child of the God who created the whole entire universe. In fact, all over the New Testament, different authors, they take turns talking about how when we accept Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. Both John's gospel and Luke's gospel mention it. Paul says it. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says it over and over and over in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, he says it. And it's one of the things I love about the book of Ephesians. If you remember, last year we spent a bunch of time going through Ephesians verse by verse. One of the reasons that Paul wrote Ephesians was to assert that the Jews and the Gentiles, when they accepted Christ, they were all part of the same family. And the Jews and the Gentiles up to that point, they didn't associate. But what Paul said to them was, when you accept Christ, you're all part of the same family. You're both sons and daughters of God. And yes, for sure, like the Jews and the Gentiles in the New Testament, we are absolutely wildly different. One of the great miracles of knowing Christ 
suddenly our differences, they don't keep us apart any longer. Because now we have the thing that is most important in common. There's this beautiful part uh, during the crucifixion that uh, illustrates it for us. Um, we're going to read it at John 19 here in a second if you want to turn there. Just as Jesus is nearing death on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother Mary. His mother Mary, his human mother, the one who had loved him as a son since birth. He also sees he, his beloved disciple John. I'm going to read to you, read with you what transpires. John 19, uh, 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, what a beautiful illustration of what happens in our hearts. You see, one of the miraculous things about knowing Jesus is that in God's church, and this is God's church, experiencing him together like we did this morning during worship, it has the effect of uniting us as a family. When we experience God together, it unites us as a family. And once you have been united as a family, there forms this bond that is difficult to break. It happened right there at the foot of the cross with John, the disciple who Jesus loved, which is how he refers to himself in his gospel with John and Jesus' mother Mary. You see, God knits our hearts together as we serve him side by side. An example that carries on throughout the New Testament, something that I think is unique in church, it's I've, you know, ever since I've been in church, I remember this, it's this habit we have of calling each other brother or sister. I always call, hey, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Happened more 20 years ago than it does now, I guess. But it turns out that this is the example given to us in the word of God. I have two scriptures up there for you. Romans 16, 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. It's not his biological sister, but he says, she's your sister. 1 Peter 5, 12, he says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that is the true grace of God. He's not your biological brother, but... He is your brother. You see, we're not only sons and daughters, but we are also brothers and sisters. Also brothers and sisters. Now, there's something about siblings that can create in them a type of inseparable bond. And a version of that same thing happens to us when we understand that we are all a part of God's family. And then we begin to serve him alongside each other each day. I told you, it's not just a nice thing today to say. It's actually in his word. Now, the apostle John, he even gave very specific instructions about something that seems really obvious. Uh, in 3 John, which is just one chapter long, just like one page in your Bible, he's writing a letter to his friend Gaius. And he calls him at the beginning of the book, he calls Gaius a dear friend who he loves in truth. And in final sense of the letter, he gives us little direction. 3 John, verse 15, he says, greet the friends there by name. He gives instruction down to greet the people that you know and love at your church. Greet them by name. Now, there's something that 
Something about learning somebody's name that communicates to others that we value them. It's the reason that we have greeters at the door. They try to say hello with a glad heart. Connie and Bill and Zach, and all the, they do an awesome job out there. Now, of course, some of us are terrible with names. Does it, would anyone say amen along with me that you're terrible with names? Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. Uh, I'll never forget one of the greeters at our last church, uh, Mark. Mark Wright. Uh, this guy, Mark, he got saved, and he was coming to our church, and an uh, awesome, awesome guy. But Mark w- wanted to be a greeter. Mark's very cheerful, friendly. One problem, Mark's terrible with names. And this was, he didn't even have a smartphone. He had one of those phones that had a keyboard where you could text, but it wasn't a smartphone. So what Mark started doing is he started, he would greet, and then someone new would come in or someone he didn't know, and they'd walk by, and he'd flip open his little phone, and he'd, like, write down what they were wearing, what they looked like, and their name. He valued knowing their names. He valued it so much that he came up with a system so he would know what they were. And so it got to where when there were people that were new and we couldn't remember their name, we'd be like, go ask Mark. He's got it on his little phone note for sure. They listen to the podcast sometime. He's probably hearing this. Uh, It mattered so much to Mark that he kept a list. He had in his heart what John was saying in 3 John verse 15. Greet the friends there by name. You see, the word of God, it gives us instructions on all of this, that we are sons and daughters, we are brothers and sisters, that we should greet each other by name. Sons and daughters of the one true king, brothers and sisters in Christ. But where does it all end up, right? Where does it lead us to? How does all of that add, us, add up to us becoming a family? Because there's something you can't really describe that happens when you're part of a family. You've probably all experienced some version of it in the family you grew up in, where you knew that you could count on them, where you just knew that you were family. We've experienced this with our daughter Christina so much when we adopted her, and, and uh, it's just, we can't explain it except God made us to be her parents and her to be our daughter. You have family where you know you can count on them, no matter what the situation, what the tough question, what excuse me, what the big request, they were family, so whatever it was, you were in it together. It didn't matter what you asked. And I think back to when Chandra and I were adopting Christina. We'd been married less than two years. Uh, The Lord was in it, divinely guiding us every step of the way. Really awesome, long, involved story. And the Lord was just guiding and directing us absolutely 100%. But that does not mean, just because God was in it, does not mean there weren't days when I was wondering Who is the cranky human that's living in my house? After all, she's a teenage girl. Love you, sweetheart, if you're listening. (laughs) But what we did have, what I had is my family. I had my parents who are here today who I could bounce stuff off of. I could even send her to their house. Yeah. When she didn't want to come out of her room, I'll go to Grammy's house. That's fine, sweetheart. See you later. Whatever crazy thing happened, I knew I could count on them as somebody to talk to, someone that I could go to and gain wisdom from. I know that Shonda was able to do that with her parents. Her parents were in Seattle, but she could do that with her parents. Her parents came and got Christina, took her on trips. Because that's just what a family does, that kind of stuff. I hope you're thinking of things like that with your family. That's just what a family does. Listen to what this final scripture this morning says, Romans 12. 10 through 13. 
which is powerful. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It sounds a lot like that family dynamic that many of us in some way, shape, or form have. But here's the thing I want you to notice. He wasn't writing it to a family. He was writing it to a church. I just described for you that exact thing my parents did for me. And Paul wrote about that, but to the church and not to a family. He's saying that within our church today, friends, we should be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And you see, friends, when we say that even if you don't have your actual family here, or maybe they're on the other side of the country, but that you have a family here, that's what we mean. That there are people here who will rejoice with you when it's time to rejoice. Be patient with, with you when the water is deep. Be faithful to pray for you regularly. Study the word of God with you. I mentioned earlier uh, how much we leaned on our parents when we adopted Christina. At the time, we thought nothing of it because we knew it was what we were supposed to do, but it was deep water having a teenager in our house, having been married that short amount of time. But I also had someone at our church. I had Pastor Stan, my pastor at our last church who I worked for. And Pastor Stan, he just so happened to be raising a teenage daughter at the same time. Christina and his daughter Lexi were good friends. And I will tell you, it was so invaluable to me to have someone from my church family that I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt was joyful and patient and faithful. I know that not all churches are like that, but I was so grateful to have it. I was so grateful to be able to go to Pastor Stan and be like, hey, is this normal? The way she's acting, is this normal? Is this the way they're supposed to be? So grateful that when we had a hard day, I would see him the next day. He'd say, hey, I prayed for you last night. How did it go? He was joyful. He was patient. and He was faithful. Like I said, I know not all churches are like that. And if you've been a part of a church that's acted in a hurtful way towards you, and as someone who's honored to get to pastor one of God's churches, I'm so sorry. Churches aren't perfect because there's imperfect humans inside of them. I count myself as one of those. But our hope is that because of Jesus who lives in us, that our church can be a place where we love you with genuine affection, as the New Living Translation says. And if we remain a place where people, regardless of who they are, their social status or their race or their political leaning or even what sports teams they like, no Dodgers, no Giants fans, I guess you're allowed. If we remain a place where we love them no matter who they are, social status, race, political leaning, whatever, then through us, if we're that kind of place, then through us, then God can begin to change the world. So why do we love the family? It's because God commands us to do it in the New Testament. We even saw a beautiful example in Jesus' own earthly family. Mother, here's your son. If you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning in this place, I want to give you 
chance to respond to the Lord in a couple ways. Uh, you might be here this morning and you keep hearing me talk about accepting Jesus and knowing God and being part of the family of God. Maybe you have been part of the family of God, but if you're honest right now, you would say you're not. You're far from Him. You walked into this place, not sure why you came, but you felt God's voice. You felt Him speaking. I want to give you a chance to become part of the family of God. Acts 2.38 says this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The Word of God says, when we repent of our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. And we become sons and daughters of God. I want to give you a chance this morning to repent, receive the forgiveness of Jesus. We don't want to go many services without doing this. So if you're here this morning, and even if you've never known God or you're here today and you're far from Him, you need to rededicate your life to Him today. Would you just raise your hand in this place so we can pray with you, pray over you? Awesome, thank you. Uh, friends, what we're going to do this morning, a couple of hands raised, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to say a prayer together. If you've said this and you're close to the Lord, uh, you are agreeing with those who are praying it uh, for salvation and rededication. Uh, as you pray this, friends, they mean it in your heart. Um, you're becoming a son and daughter, son or daughter of God today. So would you repeat after me this morning, church? Everyone say, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. This morning, I hear your voice. I feel you calling. I ask you today to forgive me of my sins. I accept you into my life. I place my hope, and my trust in you. I give you my life. In your name, amen. Friends, if you said that prayer, you meant it. God left the 99 to find the one, and that was you this morning. The Lord is speaking to you. You know, one of the things we do in families is we celebrate important events together, right? In church, there's a couple of major things uh, that we do uh, often. One of them is we take communion. We're going to do that next week. We do that the first Sunday uh, of every month. Reminds us of the body and the blood of Jesus, and we celebrate what God has done. We'll do that next week, like we do first Sunday of every month. But another uh, is that we baptize in water. We celebrate the new life that God has given. Now, it's not a requirement to be saved. You don't have to be baptized in water uh, to go to heaven. What, what baptism in water is, is an outward confession of what God is doing in our lives. It's a celebration that the old has gone, the new has come, and you celebrate with your church family. And we have a little party. And we're doing one of those in two weeks here at our church. We're baptized in one person for sure. And I want to encourage you to participate if you haven't before, never been baptized, or maybe it was a long time ago and you've since rededicated your life to Christ, uh, we'd love to baptize you in water. We'd love you to celebrate what God is doing and has done with your church family, the brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters, the ones who are patient and joyful and pray for you. Um, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can scan that little code. It'll take you to our website and sign up. We just want to give you some information about it. But we want to be joyful with you about what God has done in your life. 
we do things like this all the time. We, we dedicate babies, we pray over people, we do all the things that we can do. We want to be joyful with you about what God has done in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Or we're just going to sing uh, this chorus. So appropriate for this morning. Christ alone, our cornerstone. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.